What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Yes? Something amazing's happened. Go on, tell me. I found Jason Furman's phone number. No way. We should ring him and see if we, we can should. buy some dog equipment off him. We've got to put this to rest once and for all. There's so many people harassing me about his website and you. So, yeah, let's ring this idiot. Ring him up. Okay, hang on a sec. It's ringing. I'm excited. Hello. Hey, Jason. Yes, Patricia. <laughs> I'm ringing to uh, try and buy some dog equipment off you. Yeah, what do you want? I don't know, some tugs, some leashes, some some of that kind of stuff. Can I do that over the phone? No. Okay, Why let's would get, you do it over the phone? Mate, let's get down to the nitty-gritty in the business here. Have you got a website or not? Of course. What? Yeah, of course. I just didn't want to tell you buggers about it. You're an idiot. <laughs> so <laughs> please tell us, what is your website? It is www.einzweck.com, E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K.com. You heard it here, folks. Einzweckdogquip.com, where you can buy oh all God, your I dog training equipment. It. Head over there right now and purchase yourself some tugs, leashes. What else do you sell, Jason? Uh, plenty of HS products, uh, mm-hmm. dog pull equipment, fire pour mills, anything any normal dog person would want. Wonderful. No head holders. No, no head holders. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Hey, Cut Jason. It yes, Glenn. You're still a bullfed. Bye. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. No one else. No, just us again. Just us. Hello, everyone. How you going? Good. How are you? It's your birthday. It is. Today. Congratulations. It won't be by the time the podcast gets released, but yeah. it is now. Yeah, right. we're right in the thick of it. So don't don't message Glenn happy birthday if you're hearing this, because if you're a true friend, you would have already done it. That's right. Yeah, it's too late. It's over. <laughs> oh, oh, actually, well, I always tell Narelle it's my birthday week. Oh, you're one of those. Yeah, I'm one of those. Yeah. I, I just like to... Drag it out. Drag it out, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Milk what it you, for what it's worth. What are you doing? Tonight, mm-hmm. we're going to Gold Class. Oh, mm. to see a film. To see a film. What are you seeing? Spider-Man. Okay. Yeah. How exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. How old are you now? 49. Whoa. Jesus. I know. It's a big Hawaii next year. Hawaii, the 5 Hawaii 5-0. <laughs> do we have a topic for today? Yeah, I think what we're going to do is comes off the back of a few suggestions. We've tried to do podcasts on this type of thing before and thought maybe it's a little bit too ranty, mm-hmm. but it was a suggestion podcast on breaking up friends in the dog industry, I guess, mm-hmm. which a few people have asked what's well, happened to them and they've kind of said, how do you deal with it? And interesting topic. I talk about this on the NDTF a fair bit and it comes from people who've done seminars, not so much seminars, but coaching sessions in the force-free fraternities. Okay. So what's happened in the past with people that have been in there and they've come off the back of that and and either done NDTF or 
shared an experience with me, and you may have heard similar from people that you've spoken to, is that they are indoctrinated into the group and it's kind of like a cult. Mm -hmm. So they go into the group, they befriend everybody, they become a part of a big family. And it's very much that they feel loved and protected and guided and everything else that you would feel good about. Mm -hmm. And then if they change their mind or have any form of different thinking or, God forbid, decide that they want to look into a balanced perspective, Mm -hmm. they're sort of like cast out. Yeah. But when they're cast out, it's like the movie The Matrix. They're unplugged from the machine. Yeah. So they're very much – it'd be like being driven out to the desert and dropped off. And you're looking around thinking, what the fuck just happened? How am I going to survive? Everything that I knew and everything that I've been indoctrinated into has been stripped from me. I've been taken from it. Mm -hmm. And that's the experience that I've heard from people. And they're very emotional when they're describing the whole story about how it feels to them because they just said everything I knew, my friends, my lifestyle, what I was accustomed to doing, what I would wake up looking forward to doing has been stripped from me as a punishment. So. It's their form of negative punishment. They basically just say, well, fuck you. You're not thinking like us anymore. You're not one of us. You can't be one of us. You're solo. You're on your own. Mm-hmm. So it's a frightening experience for quite a few of them. Mm. Heard anything similar? Oh, well, yeah, exactly that, actually. I had someone come to a seminar trying to figure out a way. I won't say her name just in case other people listen, but uh, she came to a seminar and of mine in the States and got told if she went to it, she was no longer able to train with the other people that she trained with because they were a force free type community and training. And, and yep. part of what she was doing with them was for, you know, a particular thing mm. and got told if you go to that, because it, the, the poster says, you know, it's Nepo Po and they're learning about e-collars. Yep. You're not welcome back here to train with us. If you, if you even go to it, mm. which is, I think there's a few parts to that. Let me sort of finish the story before I explain why I think that happened, but her dog, we didn't actually use any pressure on. We only stayed in the po-po. And, yep. and so <laughs> what I thought was interesting, and, and we just, me and her discussed this at length kind of afterwards, she's killing it with the dog now. The dog's doing amazing. But they had the, the type of positive reinforcement they were doing had actually flattened the dog out almost completely. And and uh, when they, when we brought the dog into the room, it wouldn't work because it was like it, there, there wasn't enough value in the positives. So you then got two options, right? Do I apply some negative reinforcement to compel this dog to work, which certainly we could have done, Mm. but the dog has good drive. He just didn't know that this was a time and place where he can and should express it. And so I was like, hey, like we need to go to this point and we need to, like the dog wouldn't eat. Yep. And she was quite sort of embarrassed and was like, oh, you know, he does eat, I promise. And I was like, yeah, I know you sent me video, I've seen it. Mm. But he doesn't know that the restaurant's open here. Yep. And I think one of the things as well, as I'm doing more and more workshops at the moment, one I've, I've learned, I understand, I have a whole speech I give people before we do any dog work and I say, hey. Is this a disclaimer? Yeah. It's mm. like, this is not going to go well, right? Like this is the worst possible circumstances under which to train your dog. Yeah, and it's a bad environment when the dog is projected before a crowd of yeah. unfamiliar well, so, people. So here we are, right? So you're we're at a dog training place, so – Chances are we're at a daycare or, you know, a dog training facility where there's been loads of other dogs. There's a million smells here that are unknown to us that are present here. Mm. Uh, So that's going to be a a highly distracting thing for your dog. We're in a totally new environment where perhaps your dog has never been before. A totally new distraction full or motivator full environment. Yep. You are 
likely some sort of industry professional or at the minimum dog training enthusiast, you have friends and perhaps colleagues here who are going to be watching you and make yep. no mistake, they are judging you. Yep. Right? And you're going to ask your dog to perform in front of that crowd under those conditions. So I always say to people, hey, this is going to go terribly. Like don't expect when you come out and, and people say, oh, he does this at home, I believe you. Mm. I, I totally believe that your dog does. But the point of training is that your dog does it everywhere. <laughs> Sorry. Right? I'm just, I'm thinking stupid things while you're talking. Like what? <laughs> well, there used to be a phrase that we used to say a lot in it called touching cloth. Touching cloth. <laughs> touching cloth. And that's when <laughs> when you can become so nervous that you do a little poo and it touches Yeah. And I'm just head. thinking about, the, yeah, the turtle head. Yeah. So- yeah, in those situations, it's terrible. Like, it's terrifying and, yeah, you feel like you're going to shit yourself. Yeah, and, and and so I always say to people, like, hey, don't. this is a safe place. Mm. Nobody freak out. No one's judging you, even though they definitely are. Just, oh, that was the worst thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just relax yep. and understand that that's what's going to come of your dog. Like, lower your criteria or whatever. Yeah. And it speaks really to preparing your dog for, for training and for competition, if that's what you're going to do. But it also is the generalization that reinforces and training can happen anywhere because a lot of the times these dogs, and certainly with this dog, the, the example I'm giving, I had seen video. She had sent me video and mm. I, cause I'd asked that all the dogs have powerfully charged markers so that we didn't face this problem. And she had sent me video of the dog with very powerfully charged markers. And I, I said, look, I believe it. You so I've seen it. Not only do I believe you obviously, but uh, I've seen the video, yep. but what is happening here, and this is very common at all of these uh, events and that kind of thing is that your dog doesn't know that reinforcers are available here. Yep. And you have to now use the chicky chicky chucker in order to get the dog to understand that there's reinforcers available. So you basically have to parade the thing that you have in front of the dog to convince him that he should now work for it. And this speaks to, we talk about like classical conditioning, a working signal where the dog, whether he wants to or not, gets put into a working frame of mind. Mm. It just means that they need to proof it in as many different environments as possible. Yeah. Because that's essentially what people do, right, is they get it right in one location. They think, aha, success. Yeah. However, what they've done is they've they've reached the like the top of the pyramid in, in one environment but forgotten about the 99 other environments yeah. that they, ha- they have to do, relax their criteria, do a setback, and then realize, okay, well, what I need to do is work up to being in these other yeah, environments. Go back to the learning phase. To you- complete generalization. Yeah. Yeah. And so the other thing as well, what you see from some of these dogs, especially when you're training with food as a reinforcer, like ball drive tends to, or toy drive tends to generalize quite well, I mm. think. A dog that wants to play with the ball at home is likely to want to play with the ball. If you've got a prey monster that yeah, if it switches if, over, yeah. If that's what you're into. Yeah. But with most people's pet dogs, right, they train at home mm. and the, I mean, because that's where you are training 99% of the time in your little battle lab at home where you're doing your thing. Yeah. And I see this amazing engagement there. There's a couple of reasons for that. The first one is that those external motivators are burnt out. Your dog knows like all the th- all the smells in your home. He's not going to suddenly get interested in this random smell that's been there his whole life. That's right. And also we've conditioned the idea that this is how you eat, like you get fed at home. Mm. So even people who don't feed from a bowl, right, like people who really truly do train with existential food and all of that, if you do it between 5 and 5.30 every day at, in the same place – when you then try and train your dog in front of a crowd with a bunch of reinforcers that you don't control and you're nervous and the picture is wrong, the dog goes, hey, look, this looks kind of high stress mm. for you and for me. 
why don't we just not worry about this and we'll do it at home at 5.30 today, yep. right? And people are like, I don't understand. And they're like, they're normally high food drive dog who at home inhales his food or, or takes the reinforcers in the way that I've taught them to do, then is like not taking food that's delivered. And then the, that's no problem. That's going to happen sometimes on day one. That's only a problem if you then go home and do the training at 5.30, right? Like the dog then has to go, okay, like, and this is when we talk about the use of existential food or, or training reinforcers and people get upset at me. Maybe we don't do a good enough job explaining it here. Maybe this is sort of our sideway topic to it is that you're never withholding food from the dog. You mean you want to talk about Napopo? <laughs> well, this is whether you – well, no. Well, I mean, yes, of course I do. But Napopo is, is life. Yeah, but this is, is even if you're just – even if you are a person who uses – only wants to use positive reinforcement or force-free training or whatever it is, hands-off, whatever mm. whatever name it's got today, yep. positive first, right? <laughs> if you want to use positive first, the thing is if you give the dog the opportunity to eat, I'm never saying to the dog – you don't have the opportunity to eat. That mm. that does not ever happen. And if I say to the dog, here's the opportunity to eat and the dog doesn't want it, I'm not withholding. I am not withholding. The dog made the choice yeah, the not dog to made take the it. Choice. That's right. And the dog made that choice because he thinks I don't need to take this now. I will get other food later on. Mm. And then the only way that we can make him understand that he won't get other food later on is to say to him, like, is to not give him that food later on. The thing with like, if it, when I have a, a almost four-year-old, son now and I can explain things to him. He's way past the cognitive capacity of a dog, way past that. And so now I can say to him, this is your opportunity. If you want X, this has to be now, this is now, and I'm not going to give it to you later on, but I can't explain that to the dog. So for the dog, if I say, Hey, here's your opportunity. And the dog goes, no, thanks. I don't want that opportunity. There's no way I can then say to the dog, there's no way for later other than just not doing it later. And then the dog goes, okay, I must take what is given. And, and then I don't want my dog to be a nervy and not by, I mean like nervous wreck wondering when he's going to get fed next and, and, and thinking I, geez, I have to, I have to devour everything that's available in that because I give these condition cues. Okay. The restaurant's open. Now's your opportunity to work. Mm. The restaurant's closed. Those were your opportunities you got. And that comes up at multiple times during the day as well. Yeah. So there are, there are multiple options available for the dog. It's not like it's a one shot deal. Um, yeah, that's right. Primarily, it might have to be a little bit like that. That's a one-shot deal until the dog starts to realize, well, you know, here's, well, here's he, the opportunity. Th- that's an interesting thing you say there. So I really, truly, firmly believe that you shouldn't teach a dog about pressure and use that same pressure to teach a behavior at the same time. Mm. The dog should either know the behavior, and now we layer in some form of pressure, or we teach the dog how to react to the pressure and then use that pressure to teach a behavior. Mm. So what I never do with a dog that is uh, just learning that you, yeah, you can and that. should eat food because hunger is pressure and yep. the desire the, the desire to take food is pressure. Yep. So what I never want to do – You don't want to lay a stress. Yeah. So mm. what I don't want to do is bring that dog into the, the training room. Mm. We realize within the first 10 seconds that the dog's not interested in taking food. Mm. I sure as fuck don't want to try and teach the dog to do a sit – for food he doesn't want, yep. right? So I'd have to say, hey, he, and then what I also am not going to do is ask the dog to sit and if he doesn't because he's motivated elsewhere, go, because you did not sit, I am not going to give you the food. That was your opportunity to earn the food. Yep. I'm never going to do that. Mm. What I am going to do is click and offer the food, yep. right? And if the dog doesn't take it then, then I go, okay, well, I'll give you this opportunity. I set it up so that we show this is the pressure. The pressure is here. Mm-hmm. You don't want it. Okay, you have to, you, you, you miss out. Yep. You miss out on getting that food. And then 
tomorrow or this afternoon or we you know whatever our schedule is depending on how much food it is and the dog it is and age blah 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 right can i just add something there which mm. i think is important i agree with everything you've said the one thing that i find that is happening at some of the workshops that i've been watching and things that i've been watching online is that they'll go through the motions of trying to teach that dog the behavior the dog won't take the food because of whatever external inhibitors are, uh, or internal inhibitors are going on at the time. Mm. But then what they'll do is they'll let the dog fuck around and start rewarding itself in the environment. That's right, yeah. And then the dog learns, well, it doesn't matter if I didn't take the food. Now I can go over and drink water or gum, you know, someone will pat me or anything yeah. like that. So I'm very specific about those type of things that when a dog, you know, like is failing their exercise in the environment, don't offer other external rewards to the dog. So the dog thinks, well, it doesn't matter so much. You know, I missed this, but I'm going to get all this instead. Mm. Well, with the food, I actually don't mind too much about that. In fact, like especially when I'm teaching about the food, if the dog gets distracted and goes somewhere else, I'm still got it offering. You chose not to have it and you can't survive off of the pat from someone else over there. And it means that the dog actively learns to avoid the external motivators. They think like they realize that's something I must avoid, not Mm. something that's not available to me. It's available to me. I can go over there and get it, but I have to make the choice not to because my restaurant is open. I want want that. But so I just offer the dog the food and if he doesn't want it, then it's like, okay, well, we'll try again. Mm. But what I sure as fuck I'm not going to do is try and teach the dog to do something and then offer him the reinforcer. He just told me he didn't want two times pressure. Yeah. Mm. And then, and then, my only, the only option I have, because I do train in Nipopo, not just the Popo, is to then say, okay, well, I can use pressure, like some sort of physical pressure. I can use another pressure to bring on the behavior. I can use negative reinforcement. But I, then I can't get my values correct, right? Because my negative reinforcement value has to be less than my positive reinforcement value mm. for the behavior to be flashy and powerful. So if I offer the dog the positive reinforcer and he doesn't want it, of course, I can force that dog to do whatever I want. I can use negative reinforcement. And I can make a dog do anything I want using negative reinforcement, no problem. But what I can't, and I can use the knee po. but then what is impossible for me to do is to give a po in a value that outweighs the value of the negative and therefore make a flashy, motivated behavior. Mm. I can't do that because I offer the dog for free. Yep. So that's always my test. Whenever anybody brings a dog to me, I say, absent any of the physical pressures, the only pressure is desire, Show me how he reacts to the reinforcers. Mm. And that tells me exactly how much pressure I can use. So if the dog, you know, runs at the ball and tries to inhale it, I go, okie doke, we've got, we can use a fair amount of negative reinforcement in order to teach these behaviors because we can offset the demotivation the negative reinforcement could potentially create Mm. via that positive reinforcement. If the dog, when he hears the click, comes flying back to the handler and devours as much as he can, I go, okie doke, perfect. With the food, we can start layering in some pressure. But if the dog for free, with absent being asked what to do, so there's no behavior, here, just have your reinforcer, doesn't want it, I'm not training that dog. I'm, we're, well, we are training that dog, but we're training that dog how to take its reinforcers and find it reinforcing. And so the correct thing to do, and it's what I, I do regularly, is we just go, okay, all we're going to do over the, the course of this workshop or seminar or whatever, and hopefully this happens on ones where it's you know four or five days so we have the time to see an improvement, mm. And I can sort of make the people stick to it is we go, all we're going to do is offer him food. That's it. And so long as you don't undercut yourself and feed him at home, then we're going to see a massive improvement. I guarantee it. And this lady we had on the first day, the dog had no interest in the food that she had. And on the third day, 
the dog was devouring the food and mm. we were like, okay, now we're ready. Well, we saw we that at Gabina seminar too, right? Remember yeah, that? Right. Yeah, yeah. On day one versus day two? Yep. When she specifically, well, I mean, I sent out a message to everyone saying, you know, don't feed your dogs. Mm-hmm. The day before the seminar, let them come to the seminar hungry. Mm-hmm. And I know Georgie Harrington wouldn't have because she's pretty much a stickler for the rules, but I'm sure other people gave the dog a mercy feed before they came. Yeah. And the difference between the day one presentation of the dogs, which was, you know, a little inhibited and, and mm-hmm. distracted from the work they were doing, to day two was completely different. Yeah. Like day two was just like a complete turnaround. Yeah. So we talk about that kind of like environmental blindness. It's mm-hmm. not that the dog is, you know, I, I talk about, I think we just talked about it here. They're not distracted. They're just motivated elsewhere. Yeah. And I limit the motivation elsewhere by increasing the motivation into what I have by mm-hmm. making it scarce. But anyway, so- Well, distraction you know, is still motivation. That's, exa- the that's exactly thing. right. Yeah, well, they're just motivated towards it. Yeah. I, I have talk about this, right? So I'm in this constant ongoing war with Telstra over this phone plan, right? And- at any minute, they're going to cut off my phone. Yep. I am distracted by that. Yep. That is something that while we're sitting here talking about is mm. kind of in the back of my mind, right? Yep. That's a distraction. When your dog, when you have food, which you think motivates your dog, and your dog says, no, I'm more interested in what's over here, he's not distracted by that thing. He mm. is more motivated to go to that thing. It's a motivator. Your dog isn't worrying about whether he left the lights on in his kennel. That's a distraction, <laughs> right? Yeah, anything a, that your dog point. is trying to do rather than anything that your dog is trying to do rather than Ernie's reinforcer mm. is the reinforcer that he actually wants in that time. Therefore, he is dogs, motivated by it. Yeah, but I don't think dogs think about it as cognitively as we do. No, that's right. That's what he's just like. That's what I want right now. Yeah, that's as simple as yeah, that. They're, they're more in the moment than what we are. That's right. I mean, I'm sure they do have worries and concerns, but they're not as intrinsic as ours are exactly that's what i'm trying to say so yeah. so when when i'm working and i and someone says to me oh he's distracted by that smell yeah no 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 he's no. more motivated he's by motivated it. Yeah, by that's, that that's smell, good yeah right? i agree and yeah. so you either have to diminish the motivation of that smell and yep. do that by act by increasing the motivation of what you have mm. or you now that smell is now your reinforcer yep. and make him work to use that yeah right? you sold me on that point yeah mm. anyway so this lady she to get back to what we were even starting about, by the end of it, the dog's working like a machine and working exactly how she had shown me he could work at home. Mm. And it was only because he then came to understand, yep, okay, I've got it. Like I understand that when you offer me the food, I should take it, whether I'm really very hungry or not, because this is the window for opportunity. And now we have a way to start training that dog. Mm. And the thing is as well, like what people forget or, or perhaps don't understand is that if in a new environment your dog won't take food, right, that won't take its reinforcers, whatever it is, if in that new environment your dog won't take that, he also will not do the work that you're asking for. That's the same thing. He's only doing the work in order to receive those reinforcers, especially if you're in the learning phase, right, before yep. the dog has learned to enjoy the, the action itself. So the chances of you being able to recall your dog in that place don't exist. Mm. It's not going to happen, right? So don't bother training anything. And so she came to my seminar, the Nipopo guy, the guy that's going to teach you how to use an e-collar and was no longer allowed back in her training club who were force-free, positive only, meant to be good at that. And I had to fucking teach her about that, not them. So wow. so to be go back to your original point in that like people are worried about, not because it's, I don't think, people are worried about looking outside the group, not because 
the devil is outside the group and you're going to you're going to be now influenced to do something terrible to your dog. She's a lovely person. She's not going to ever do anything terrible to her dog. Mm. It's because you will find out that my skill set is not as high as I am trying to tell you that it is. That in my opinion is why people don't want anybody to look outside of what they're doing, right? Well, it's a method of control. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And if I only if I only uh, know five things out of the possible hundred there is to know, mm. but I've let you think that I know everything. It's very fucking important. You never meet anybody who knows six things, yeah. right? Because then, then it becomes clear that I don't know everything that I do. Mm. Right? Yeah. It's like, it's, it's almost like an abusive relationship where one partner is telling the other one that they wouldn't survive without them. And they're, you know, they're not that good looking and blah, 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 blah. And they tell them a range of just heinous comments and all it is is they're acting on their own insecurity. Like, if you leave me, I'll be distraught. Mm. Not that, you know, they're not feeding them with a positive thing or encouraging them to say, listen, be pilgrims of the world. You know, go out and learn. And when you've learned, come back and, and teach us as well. You know, bring your information back. Let us all benefit from it together. And I think those type, that type of learning is really an encouraged type of learning. I'd, I'd prefer to be around people like that. But... I must admit, you know, like I've been guilty of tribalism before where, where we've created an us. We all are. That's we a human all, we, trait. It is. I mean, there's no way around it that you become objective to other people's teaching methods and so forth. I mean, you and I have sat around before and looked at things that people have done mm-hmm. and thought, okay, that's pretty average. Mm-hmm. I'm sure people have done it to us and said, you know, that Glenn and Pat don't know what they're talking about. We're doing it right now, kicking their dashboard. Shut up. Yeah. Who are these idiots? But they, I mean, look, that happens. I, I don't think that where anyone is the bastion of all knowledge on no, earth. It's impossible. And it's, I, that's why I encourage people to go to seminars. Like we've, we've said this so many times, I'm, we're just about blue in the face about it, but you really are benefiting from going and listening to people's teaching. I'm surprised when I saw that Jay hadn't sold out when he was doing the seminar here this weekend. You know, like he has in Melbourne, but he hadn't for Sydney. And I'm like, really? Like you're bringing over a guy that's internationally accredited with, you know, forming GRC. He's a very smart operator. I mean, that guy is very switched on and there were still places available for the seminar. I hope they're taken up now. Like I'd be disappointed to find out that the spots weren't fulfilled for the for the Sydney seminar. But it surprises me still that... Mm. People are so resistant to it. I guess that's one thing that that has happened this year that has been different to former years is there's been a lot of pop-up seminars that have happened this year. Like yeah. everybody is doing seminars now. Yeah, like yeah. they used to be could have four, maybe four a year and people could afford to go to them. But now like everybody wants to run seminars. Anybody who's got a little bit of property or, or whatever, you know, all of a sudden they're running a seminar. This, this person's bringing that person out. This person's bringing this person out. And it's for people listening, they might go, oh, that sounds like sour grapes from Glenn because he runs seminars. It, it is sour grapes, I can tell you, when you've organized one and all of a sudden somebody's dropped two or three right in the space that you're doing them. Mm. And, you know, people that had budgeted to come to your seminar have gone, fuck, now I've got like three other seminars to choose from. And all of a sudden, instead of us getting good crowds at seminars, we're now seeing like smaller groups of people coming through. Mm. So yeah, a little, little bit pissy from me. And I know that other people I've spoken to have said the same thing. They've said, you know, like all of a sudden now you've got this one, that one, this one, that one, this one, that one. Like in the space of this year, there's been like 20 seminars mm. already that have, that have happened mm. in a term where there used to be four. And that's why people now have said to themselves, well, can I afford it now? 
yeah. can I actually afford to go to all these learning opportunities? And I've had people message me and saying, dude, you know, like I really wanted to come. I just can't afford it. I can't yeah. afford, you know, the flight up there or the accommodation or even the fee just this time around because this one's happened and, you know, which one do you go to? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, yeah, that, that's very true. And we had a full schedule here in Sydney at this year. Mm. But uh, I think that for it, dog trainers in general, no matter where you are, I think the only thing that should be uh, holding you back from furthering your education is time and money. Yeah. Because like, that they're the two resources that you absolutely need to do mm. it. It shouldn't be that you're like, no, my, I'm, my bucket's full, I'm done. Because like, say, for example, like what I teach is like nipo-po, but then like, you know, Jay's thing is play and that's yep. the po part, right? Yep. So it's like, I don't go into like, this is the the deep dive into how to actually reinforce the dog really well using gameplay. Mm. And it's not that that's, um, that's any different to what I would do. It's just, that's the, the piece that he teaches. Yeah. It's not that it's a it's, specialty. It's, yeah. It's not in conflict to anything, but it's the piece. And yeah. so, uh, that's it's like, the, it's like a specialist, right? It's like yeah, some exactly. doctors work on eyes, some work on ears, some work on feet, you know, whatever. Yeah. He teaches the gameplay part. Right. And the gameplay is a big part of the training in my system. They complement. Yeah. Or it's, mm. it's, it's a huge part of it, but it's mm. not the part that I, uh, have the time, energy, and capacity to teach. Yeah. Um, so they all sort of dovetail together. But I think, yeah, you're right. There's a lot going on at the moment. And and I think that the only limiting factor in you progressing what you know um, as a trainer or if you're just an enthusiast that loves training your dog, the only thing that should be holding you back is time and money. Mm. Um, and the one thing that is tricky about ho- uh, hosting seminars uh, is definitely that it's a weekend. And so you've got to find the right time when there's nothing else on. But then a lot of most dog trainers, I, I think anyway, are, they work the weekend because mm. that's when your clients are available. So the attending some sort of educational thing usually incurs a double cost. Yeah, it does. First of all, you're paying to be there and there's the opportunity loss of income. you can't work that mm. weekend. Yeah. yeah. So it is very expensive. I get all that. And, um, and But you've got to try and push forward and, and people need to – you know, broaden their horizons and look elsewhere. And I think all that, I think most of our listeners know that because if they're listening to us, they're, they're interested in that. But what is concerning and back to your original point is that it's when someone says to you, don't go to that, right? Like someone might say, Hey, maybe I know that person and at their skill level and your skill level, it, it may not be a good investment for you. Mm. Right. Like, and, and I accept that because that's people ask me about, Hey, like, should I go to this? Should I go to that? Now my default answer is always, yes, you should. If you can afford it, both time and money, you should go to everything. Mm. But if you had to choose between this person and that person, because of where you're at, you are likely from my point of view, you are likely to get more out of that person over this person. Mm. Like that will be a better investment for you. Um, but I would never tell anybody do not go to that. And if you go to that, we are finished. You cannot come to me because it's fucking carnage. Like that, that <laughs> like that is, that's madness. Yeah. And, and we've discussed a million times on the podcast. Like I'm the kind of person that's when someone says you can't do that. Well, now I can't do anything else other than that. <laughs> like you just kicked in my opposition reflex and now I have to do exactly what mm. you just forbid me from doing and make a public spectacle of doing what you just forbid me from doing. Yep. Right. And fuck you. Right. Well, I've got a, a range of seminars I'm going to encourage you to go to this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love going to all those events. But yeah. for me, yeah, more, me than, too. more than anything, I pick up something from everybody I see. 100% I put a tool in the bank. And mm. whether it might be something that I see and I think, oh, like there's a, almost no chance of me employing that or using that, 
or or that's something that I now know I will never use. At least I got to observe it rather than finding out myself and having the bad experience, right? Mm. So like I get something out of everything I go to. But what I really enjoy is the community at these things. I think yeah. that's a huge part of it. I think you know, that's, yeah, there's a I lot agree. of people who are the regulars that you see at those kind of events that are fucking good and mm. really uh, are just there for the hangout, mm. right? Yeah, I got to admit the networking at seminars is just sensational, yeah. and it, you know sometimes it's just like a carnival catching up with people in the dog world, and you know what have you been doing? It's like family reunions a lot of times. Yeah, mm. yeah, big time. Yeah. What I do appreciate when we're talking about seminars and especially the planning of them is when people in the industry are actually networking with each other on top of the networking topic that we're talking about. It's always nice that when rather than just do these plug-in seminars where all of a sudden you find out instead of there being four, six, eight or whatever, Mm. you know, suddenly we've got 20 happening in the year. But it's nice to know that people are working with each other more frequently and saying, okay, look, I've got such and such coming out in July you got anyone, you know, what dates are they happening? I think maybe if people are listening to this who are thinking about bringing out people and and running seminars, maybe we need to have a coordinated page or something on Facebook or something like that. Yeah, but I mean, how can you – that would be great if you could keep it to an area. Because, like, I agree with you, you're 100% correct. As a host, it's your job to be in charge of that and to Mm. know that. But especially as a presenter, like having done this overseas and and people say, oh, well, there's a lot in that area at this time. I'm like, well, how the fuck would I know that? Like I'm not plugged into that that space. That's your job as the host. Mm. You know what I mean? As the presenter – I say, hey. Yeah, but I'm talking about people in Australia. No, I know that's right. But, yeah. but most of our listeners aren't in Australia. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we, you and me think of this and we're like, oh, these are the people that we'll see <laughs> this weekend at Jay and that's the 50, 60 people we'll see there. But there's 10,000 people all around the country listening to this. Mm, it's true. <laughs> it would be a disaster trying to, hey, I'm doing this <laughs> seminar here. And it's like, cool, keep your 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 fucking Northern Ireland seminar to mm. yourself. You know what I mean? Well, like, I actually had to cancel knows. a few that I was planning on bringing out just because there was just too much saturation at yeah, the time. But I think that's really good. And and I know from myself having brought people out and, you know, traveled around doing it myself is you got to know that because at the end of the day, these things are great to do, but it's a for-profit business. That's mm. what we're doing. It's like you, you do your, your presentation, you, you're, you're selling your knowledge and, and selling it. You know yeah. what I mean? You have to make money. You're away from your family, all these kind of things. That's right. And it's up to the host to know like what, what you should and shouldn't do because yep. You can't know. There's no way you can know as a presenter. There's no way you can be plugged into everywhere around the world and all the people that could want to attend mm. knowing what else was there the week before and what's going to be there the week after in every place. It's it's impossible. It's up to the host to, you know, know that and put in the work to mitigate that. Yeah. Hey, but we're on it. We've changed topics a bit. We're talking about breakup, breakups, bust-ups and fights in the dog world. Mm. But I think one thing I was going to say on that when, when we first got the question was that I know there's lots of dodginess that goes on and I still pretty firmly, yeah, but I still pretty firmly believe that most of the time when people have these big bust ups, especially in business um, type things or in arrangements or whatever, uh, co-owning dogs and all that kind of thing, it's more often than not, I still firmly believe that it's miscommunication and misunderstandings. Mm. And I believe that the best way to avoid all that is really clear understanding of if you have some arrangement or deal or understand like, really clearly articulating write that. it down yeah having a, a contract yeah and it's weird you know because like people like say with us and this podcast right like we have clear now that we've had to turn it into a business yep. right 
we have clear roles and responsibilities and mm. we know this is my part of it and I'm responsible for it. This is your part of it. You're yep. responsible for it. This is how we split things. This is how we do things. Mm. And so no one will ever get angry at anybody else because- We you, understand what the yeah, roles and- I'm never going to go, oh, bloody Glenn bought himself a new microphone and didn't buy me one. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Because it's like, this is what we spoke about. You this would. Is, you'd say, hey, buy me well, a microphone. Well, I would then go out and buy the same <laughs> yeah, one. Exactly. Which is exactly what happened. But- there's never going to be an issue there. No one's, I'm never going to look at your pot and go, it's less or more than mine and be angry about it. Yeah, this is a shared pool. We know the deal. But, the, know but the reality is, is, I mean, as we've said to people who have been Patreoning us, is that whatever they're giving us, we're injecting back into improving the show. Yeah, yeah, of course. But yeah. I, I've just used this as an example. Yeah. But, but like, say, in all business relationships, there's no such thing as a perfect split. Like, it, it, it can't work that way. That mm. it, there's always going to be one person who either has to take more money because of more responsibility or has to do more work. or it, 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 You can never cut everything perfectly down the middle. That's yeah. impossible. Mm. And so what I think happens in a lot of dog world relationships where people – crack the shits and things might be going fine and then suddenly it's a big bust up and now they hate each other and that kind of bullshit is I usually think that they didn't really clearly define their terms when they got into bed together. And it's like, this is what we're going to do. And and you have an idea of what that's going to look like. And I have an idea of what that's going to look like. And then six months later, you go, fuck, I'm getting a lesser deal than you. And it still might be a good deal, but mm. it might be less than mine. And that's when the split happens. And now you rip me off or you do whatever, right? I don't ever run that shit. Like when I'm, Getting involved with somebody, and this is before I had anything to do with dogs, is I say, like, hey, this is how I foresee it going. Of course, there's things that you, you cannot foresee, but this mm. is how I see things going. This is where the cost will come from. This is how we'll repay that. This is my area of responsibility. This is your area of responsibility. Yeah. And when you understand all that kind of stuff, you front load the realization that it won't be fair. It won't, it will be fair, but it may not be even. Mm. Right. And so, I think a lot of dog world splits are when people don't have that that sit down talk and go like this is how it's going to go and they they're both under the impression that it's going to go differently mm-hmm. and that when one of them gets the realization they're on the bad end of it then they then they cause all the problems. I, I see that a lot and of course it does, there are it does just, happen and I've been involved in that a multitude of times. Yeah. Sometimes at my fault and sometimes at the other end's fault. Of course. However, a lot of what you're saying I think it's fair what you've just said, but there are a lot of underhanded out there too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Of course. But a lot of the time, yes, totally. (laughs) You're going to have to Fenton that. I will Fenton that. (laughs) (laughs) But if in your dealings with, you shouldn't find yourself in position with those people too often, Mm. right? That should be, they're the outlier. I, I cut them as soon as, as soon as I'm dealing with somebody like that, they're, they're done. Yeah. We're, we're done. Yeah. You know, I'm finished with them personally, professionally. Yeah. We're done. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And that sort of has to be that way. Yeah. I don't it, play the fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah. But I mean, it, and it is an ethics thing as well. Like, here's, here's an example, right? Mm. My dog, Sam gave him to me. He, yep. He's mine. I yep. own him. It's not like we had the sit down talk, but it's always been, he's, he owns him genetically, right? Yeah. If he wants to breed from him, him can. And I, cause I don't breed, I don't have the right to let anybody else breed from him. And I have been offered some fucking money. Now I can sell the dog. That's fine. But uh, he's mine. I can sell him. Yeah. But 
what I don't have the ability to is to sell him, sell semen or, or let anybody breed from him or mm. whatever. And so whenever people contact me and they say, hey, we want – and I could have made a lot of money. A lot of people have asked me to breed from that dog. Yep. And I just say, you got to talk to Sam. Mm. It's, not, it's none of my business. you got to talk to him. And he would never he would never know. I could have done that a hundred times and he would never know, mm. right? But I don't because I'm not a fucking asshole. Yeah. Like that's the deal we have. I've he got gave the same with the Brandy. Yeah. He Dave gave me I, my dream dog, the mm. dog that I love and I wanted for fucking years yep. and is perfectly capable of what I wanted and he helped me develop it. Like he gave that to me. Yeah, I, but you're an honourable dude. Yeah, but that's what and, I mean. There's and, plenty and, of people who aren't. Yeah. Your bond is your word. And you call people on their bullshit a lot because I say this with affection, but more often than not, you're a very honest person. I haven't it's sometimes too honest. <laughs> well, well, you are. I mean, yeah, you, but you, you do call a lot of people on their bullshit because you just like dealing with honesty. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I, I know that it really grinds your gears when people lie about things and you yeah, catch yeah. them out on their lies. Yeah. You know, like I have to be careful. around. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? On that, like it is this, like the truth will set you free. Yeah, that is that is one of my life mottos, and I I fucking live it to the to the fullest. Is mm. that when you get if you if you're lying to people, it's a fucking stressful thing. And, yeah, and it even comes being, out comes and, out in the wash. And look, I used to, like without going into the reason I have such strong feelings on this is I I've had to professionally deceive people, and I fucking hate it. Not in yeah. this like in a in a role a long time ago, right? Mm. And nothing to do with anything here. And I am so uncomfortable doing that, and I fucking hate it like it is it goes against every fiber of my being and then you live in this like what did i tell this person how's it going like it's horrible yeah and so you never have to and and i don't like to watch my tongue i like to say what i feel like when i feel like it Mm. and if you never have to protect any mistruths or untruths then you never have to worry about what you say you can just you can just run your mouth whenever you want and you can be wrong Mm. you could be wrong i'm wrong a lot I, i say a lot of shit that turns out not to be true and i rectify it when it does but i'm never intentionally wrong right it's like when people have tried to control or suggest the direction that we take the show in. Like I said, oh, if you didn't do this so much or you didn't swear or whatever, you know, you'd probably get more listeners or more people joining in. And we basically said, well, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We yeah. like our we like our audience the way it is. We like people that, you know, aren't I, I mean, we I just find that we're walking on eggshells with people so much these days. Mm. We've become so politically correct and so disconnected from each other. It's fucking frightening. Mm. It's frightening the speed that it's actually heading in. And I think this is another reasons why we're we're dividing from each other so much. You know, I don't know many people. I'm sure you and I have shot the shit on this many times, but I don't know many people are really enthralled and fascinated by this whole political correctness movement. Mm. You know, like this whole Marxist leftist whatever you want to call it this do you know the best way to not have to do with that just don't deal with it just do it and that's primarily what i do i start cutting people when i realize that it's becoming it just looks like pea soup and when i see it i just think no i i just can't be around you because i can't have the freedom to move and say and think the way that i need to Mm -hmm. because then i become stifled then i become frustrated to be honest i think it leads to terrible confrontation mm. eventually. So I just think you do you, I'll do me. Mm-hmm. You exist in your end of the world, I'll do mine, okay? And I think everybody can live happily ever after if you, if you view it that way without offence from people. And look, to be honest, you know, talking about this whole bust-up thing, I've had in-depth conversations with people where I've said to them, and, and it's not about pushing the blame onto them. It's basically saying, I don't think we're compatible anymore. Yeah. I don't think you and I 
work well together. And that's a you and I thing. It's not a you thing and it's not a me thing. It's just that we've come to, it's basically a bottleneck where we're not fitting through anymore. Yeah. And it's as nice as it was in the past. It's not going to be like that in the future. So I bid you for well or wish you well. And it's not malice on the person. It's just that you no longer, uh, you just agree to disagree on too many subjects and yeah. it becomes uncomfortable to be around each other. Well, and I've done that with clients and I've had that done to me with clients yeah. for sure. And yeah, I never, course. I, of course, especially if it's someone, an ongoing client, and you're getting money from it and you're like, this is the industry. As I say, we are doing this to, to pay the bills. Mm. It can be, financially kicking the teeth but there's no point i don't try and recover that like if people say hey i would rather do it whoever's way i'm like yeah cool like that's uh, as much as i would i am enjoying training you but usually at that point you're not like no it's like okay if you're leaving home frustrated and feeling guilty and i mean that's the other thing too right is that that sometimes you just feel this incredible guilt all the time and when you know we did a podcast some time ago like dealing with um, and coping with stress in the industry and or just in general. And I think part of that is when you separate from people sometimes, there's there are times where you don't feel liberated, you feel guilty about it. Like, yeah. have I done the right thing? You know, like we were friends, we had and you you're recalling the memories of things that you had well that were working well together in the past. But that's no longer possible. I just don't believe that it got to a point where mm. it's possible to have that going forward. And I'm like once I do get to that point, I used to feel guilty about it in the past, but now I don't. Yeah, it's now a, I just that's think, a self-care thing. It is. Yeah, I agree. And I just think to myself, the best thing for me, like because I do have to self-care with things like that, is not to wallow in it too much, yeah. not to think on it too much. Because there have been, you know, there's been some recent times where I've had to drop a few people and I've just thought to myself, fuck, you know, like I actually got really emotional about it. But then I thought, well, what's the point? Yeah. I'm on the verge. <laughs> I'm on the verge of a bust up with a client at the moment, but she's keeping it together. Yep. What it is, and, and I I'd had to develop a sort of a new strategy for this, right, is there's there's an issue with the dog. It, it's it's created by her, the issue. And it was just the way the dog was raised, the way it was kept. There's a few different things. And it it's basically presents as a nervous, aggressive dog, right? That's what it is. And the path to fixing it would be quite simple, I think. But- Here's the other thing, like I'm a balanced trainer or a positive first trainer or whatever we're calling it. And I doesn't mean that I can only do a particular type of training. And when I have clients and I've had many that say, because of where my ethics lie, I am not going to use any tools. I'm only prepared to use positive reinforcement. She's one of these. I'm cool with that. I say, it's not like I say, well, then I can't help you. I say, I have a very strong skill set in the positive reinforcement section. But you have to understand that this problem would be best fixed not doing it that mm. way. This problem would be best fixed doing this. And the certainly in her case, positive reinforcement, we can improve the dog dramatically and probably get the dog to a point where she can happily live with it. Yep. Right. But in order to do so, you are going to have to be very, very good at it. And there's going to have to be a lot of management in the meantime. And you're going to have to do exactly as I say, right? Mm. There's no room for for error here. This is, we're going to be very precise because we have no way to correct any errors, right? Yep. So we have to be errorless in our training. We cannot make any mistakes ever because we have no tool and any mistake will set us back a mile, right? If we're only using positive reinforcement and management. And I'm like, well, that's fine. I, I can totally do that. But you, as long as you accept that it's going to cost you a lot more money because you're going to have to talk to me a lot more and it's going to take a lot longer, 
I often explain to people like, this is not Lima. This is not least invasive, minimally aversive because it's going to take a lot longer. I can fix this with the dog in mm. three sessions because it's not really a significant problem. And the dog's not committed, not that committed to the, the behavior we don't like. Yeah, I'm trying to speak so generally so that I don't out this person because <laughs> people will know. Yeah, And I'm like, we could fix this, but if you want to do this, it's going to take a significant amount of time and it's going to take very significant dedication from you. And I have, to this point, not been getting that dedication. She's been doing things that are setting the dog back or going back to old habits. Mm. And I was about to just say, well, beat it. We're done, right? But what I did change to was some ve- – like that was going to be a bust up. I was going to say – and I've done that with plenty of people in the past because I was, I don't know, just harder on them and just like, hey, I told you to do this. You didn't do it. You, we're finished, right? But what I realized with her is I'm giving too much info at once. And yep. so what I am now doing is I've You're chunking got, it down. Well, but 100% I've told her, this is what I want you to do. Exactly mm. this. If you do not do that, do not ever call me again. I will know. It's the second I lay eyes on the dog, I will know. Yep. She lives near enough to me that I, I am able to sneakily go past the house and sometimes see whether the things that I've said are in place or not. A big part of it is where the dog is kept. So if I catch you even one time, we are finished. Mm. Uh, we are done, right? Because you're undercutting yourself. This is, I'm doing this for you. But what I realized was what I was, I was asking way too much. And like, it wasn't way too much for me. Uh, I could easily do that. And it wasn't way too much for most people. They could do it. But she's a particular case. I have to train the dog in front of me. I have to train the person in front of me. So what I have done is avoid the breakup this time is kind of in line with what I was saying is really clear deals. I've said like, Hey, this is what I need. And yep. I, and, and it's measurable. So every time we go around, I was like, okay, show me last time's thing. And if it's not here, we're finished. Yep. Right? And she's motivated then it's, it's where, where there's a very we're, we're very tenuously You're working conditioning together. Her. I and mate, it's not about money. If I would have cut her away in a heartbeat, but I don't see another solution for the dog because yeah. even a more skilled dog trainer than me is not going to be able to help because the problem is not the dog, right? She needs birdie in her life is what what she needs. Yeah, but that's a whole nother issue. Mm. I hope I have sufficiently not identified that person, but it's a really talk about bust ups like I would have in the past just been like nah we're finished see you later you didn't do what I say what's the point why are you continuing to pay me like and with some people especially with sport people or like which is where my heart lies when people don't do what I say I'm like well I don't care like I've given you the information mm. and the, the stakes for your dog at this point are just that you don't pass the trial that you want to trial right so like it's up to you whether you go through with this and it it of course there's potential that what I'm telling you is not hundred percent the best version. And if you think there's something else, like I'm totally fine with that. I coach loads of people in sporting type endeavors that are getting coached by many, many other people. And I'm, I don't care about that. Mm. Like I, there was a time when I got upset about it when I was like, am I not enough? But now I fully don't. And because I don't draw my success from their successes, right? I know my system works and it's up to you how much you want to, like how much you want to do it. And I, I then thought for myself, this is a letdown of my own, picture because I'm not convincing them well enough. Well, I, I, I know that I'm teaching it very well. I've got loads of people all around the world who are kicking goals from the the advice and the training they've gotten from me. Yeah. Great post this morning on Facebook in our, um, I think it was in our group of a lady with a dog that uh, is doing oh, fantastic. Um, norm, yeah. Norm norm GST. Shape. yeah norm like, GST, yeah. like dogs, mm. yeah, you know, I saw that. Yeah. implementing all the things I said and doing fantastic. Mm. So I'm like, yeah. I, I know I'm not the problem. Right? <laughs> so if people don't want to take it on, especially in the sports, I have no problem with that. Mm. Hey, I want, I'm coming to you for this specific piece of advice. Yeah. No worries. I'm down. You know, when I was, uh, 
you know, learning other skills in the past, I did exactly the same thing. Hey, you're the leash guy. You teach me everything I know about the leash. And, and even in, even when I was like a, a fitter person who could do weights, it was like, go to specific people. Hey, I want to learn to deadlift better. You're yep. the deadlift guy. I have a strength coach for general, mm. but this guy's the deadlift guy. Yeah. Right. Like going to your specialist. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, t- I'm down with that. Mm. But when, and, and when it's a really, a behavioral issue, we've got to stick together. We've got to focus and we've got to do the one thing because mm. the stakes are fucking high. That dog's going to yep. bite someone mm. or it's going to bite the, and that person's going to get hurt. Or as I've told her, your dog's going to bite the wrong person yep. and the dog's going to get hurt right there on the spot because the dog is not strong and it's not committed to this behavior and it's going to come after the wrong person that's going to crush it. Yeah. Right. And you, so the stakes are high. Right. But with the sport people, I'm like, the stakes are low. You just won't pass your trial. Mm. No one's going to get hurt because you didn't pass the trial. So do what you want. I'll give you all the advice that I have. I'm not offended by you not taking it, not in the fucking slightest am I not offended. Even if I give you the whole bucket of everything I know and you take one drop from it and you're successful with that, I'm super happy for you. Yeah. But when it's behavioral stuff where there's high stakes, the dog, the life's dog is at, the dog's life is at risk. Yep. We have to fucking work together and you have to do what I say mm. because that the half halfy when we find out it didn't work is going to be astronomic, uh, extraordinary problem when it's proven. Yeah. That's my rant. Very good points. I'm in the good position. I've mentioned this before. I know, but I'm in the good position where I can be very selective about who I take on. Mm. And I've actually flicked a few people because I found out whether they've told me or through other people that they've been trainer hopping. And it's not that I don't, it's not that I really care about them trainer hopping. It's just, there is a particular thing that I do have an ethical standpoint on. And that is that they don't tell me they're doing it. And then they come to me with advice on something and saying, oh, what do you think about this? And I'll go, no, that's fucking bullshit. And then I find out it's from a colleague of mine. And then they go back and tell the colleague that, oh, Glenn said that that's, that's bullshit. And now mm. I say, I, I don't want to be a part of that. So there's been a few people of recently who have. But on that, just, and, and I think we've talked about this before, it, it's never that what the other person it's rarely ever what the other person has said is bullshit it's, it's mixed their up. interpretation, it's an interpretation of it, of the it. way they explain it to you but that's bullshit. right but but the whole point is is i don't want to be involved with people be who are doing that yeah. so what i say to them is i'm not doing this any longer you you go with them and it's not a, it's not like i won't talk to them and i've said to a few people we can be friends like we can chat i'm just not advising you on training anymore i'm mm. done you've chosen to field with a, a few different people. Well, obviously you're not happy with what I'm telling you mm-hmm. or, you know, and, and the fact that you're telling other people, cause I got fucking hung for it before it was recent where a guy in the States messaged me and said, Hey dude, you know, like I've got feedback that you thought what I was saying was bullshit. And I said, what are you talking about? And I said, Oh, a mutual person that we've been discussing things with came back to me and said that they gave you an interpretation of something and you were, you know, running it down. And I said, First of all, exactly as you said, a completely different interpretation. Yeah. And secondly, I didn't know it came from you. Otherwise, I would have called you directly or, you know, just messaged you and said, you know, what's the deal here? What are we talking about? Because we're both seeing the same person and they're both coming to us for consults. So I just said, look, I've completely flicked that person anyway. I'm not dealing with them anymore because exactly for this reason that we're colleagues, industry experts, I believe in your work and I believe enough in mine to advise the person correctly in what we're doing, but I'm not going to be involved in this bullshit. Mm. So if, if people out there are listening and doing that sort of thing, you you should pull your socks up on that sort of stuff. That sort of stuff is not cool. You know, pitting trainers against each other and interpreting things poorly. And if you do... 
if that is the case, then name the person that you got the information from and just say, look, I am seeing in somebody else. You might need a different specialist for a different field. Say to the trainer that you're with, I'm training with this person. This is what they've advised me or along these lines. Maybe if I can get you two guys to sit together and speak, we can nut it out further. Mm. That's my thoughts on that anyway. Yeah. There's so many different stories you could so uh, many. explain like this. So it, many. I've had, I've had multiple people. Any ones that you were describing before, I flick them to you. Yeah. They speak to me and in the initial consult, I'll just say, oh, I'm not your guy, Pat is. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, for coaching sports stuff, I'm happy to be one in the picture. But I, yeah. what I won't do is ship me out someone else's system. And and like I say, people, I've had loads of people say, oh. But I didn't even know it's somebody else's yeah, system yeah, until, I mean. they, until I get outed on it. And I think, fuck. Yeah. Someone will ask me something very generally and I give my advice and then they swing out the, well, this other person said this. And I was like, okay, but were they there? Well, then listen to them because they were fucking there because your stupid interpretation of what happened as you explained it to me is probably yeah. incorrect. Mm. And you can see there's people that are actually trying to cause a derision. I've had someone try and do that with jazz. Like, and it's like, oh, jazz told me this and now you're saying this. And I was like, hang on, did it happen in front of her? And yeah, okay, we'll then do exactly what she said because yep. I trust her implicitly mm. and I don't trust you at all. Mm. So do exactly what she said because she saw it happen, right? So do exactly what she said. Don't try and give me your stupid representation or your version of what you think, your interpretation of what yeah. happened. She interpreted it correctly. I trust her implicitly, right? You do what she fucking said. Oh, but no, no buts. Right? Yep. Like, now go people, away. People do that shit all the time. Yeah. It's, it's like they're sitting at home bored and think that. But anyway, as I say, I think that in all the things we're talking about, when you talk about breakups in the dog industry, whether for whatever reason or whatever, I think it, it's clarity. Mm. You have to be clear with people. You have to be like, hey – this is what I expect from the situation. Are you happy with that? Okay, cool. Well, now I'm going to hold you to it. Yeah. Uh, this is what I expect from the situation. Are you happy with that? No. Okay, let's find a middle ground. I, now I'm happy with that. Yep, okay, we can agree. That's the agreement. Now we're beholden to each other. We yep. keep that deal together. I think that that's the main thing. For me, I just think that's communication and when you come up with something, whether it's a client relationship, mm. and it, it relates exactly to the dog. I mean, this is... Behavioral science is behavioral science, whether you do it Absolutely. to a starfish or to or to other people mm. or to a, a dogs in between. Like you make a clear, keep it clear. This is what I expect. You didn't meet my expectation. Now there's a consequence, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's simple. And if mm. you then go, uh, I have an expectation. You'll have to guess it. No, nope, you didn't meet it. Now here's a consequence. Well, that's fucking unfair. That's what I talk about teaching and using pressure at the same time. You mm. can't do those two things at the same time. Look, I've got some people in the industry who we've maintained friendships, but I'll never do business with them ever again. Mm -hmm. And I've made that painfully clear to them. I've, I just said, as far as business goes, I cannot do it with you. Otherwise, it will affect our friendship. Mm -hmm. But having a beer and talking dog shit, no problems. Yeah. 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 I think you, if you have those clear definitions with people, then you can coexist on a happy plane together because sometimes mixing business with pleasure is just not a good idea. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. All right. Hey, we, we we didn't get too ranty. No, we sort um, of and we, we saved the question. Yeah, we didn't even tell people about the whole no homers. Oh yeah, how we how we created well, it. it. Have we have we told that I can't before? Remember. I can't remember. We've told that story before. When we were first starting the podcast, we had a whole bunch of episodes that got dumped because we realised they were just it was us venting. 
And the original name of the podcast was called the No Homers Dog Training Podcast because our, we were saying- No uh, Homers Dog Discussions. Yeah, No Homers Dog Discussion. Yep. That's right. Because it was about keeping out the people that had pissed us off and then <laughs> and then realised that this- We was, won't let anyone in. <laughs> and then, well, we reinvented the entire show and now it's the total opposite, right? It's Hang um, on, I need a sound effect for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at you with your fancy I new know. board. Oh, goodness. Um, I've actually, hang on, let me, let me, no, that's not the one I'm looking for. There's, there's another good one. Just bear with us while Glenn plays with his new toy in front of you all. Birds. Hang on, no, 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 no. Are these pre-programmed in there? Yeah, or? yeah, pre-programmed. Right. That's crickets. Okay. And then there's this one, I think. This is the one I was looking for. Oh, no, no, no. Boom tish. That's the uh, one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is, you know, this is going to end up like one of those terrible morning yep. breakfast shows. Yep. Please never do this no, again. I won't. Have right. you got the Fenton in there? Not yet, but yeah. I, I'll put it in there. Yeah. Well, you yeah. snuck one out before. You're going to have to manually go back. Yeah, I have to manually in. trip that up. Yeah. Mm. All right. I think that we stayed fairly positive. Daniel asked us the question about breakups in the industry. And so I think we've sufficiently answered it, hopefully in the way that he wanted. And and again, to recap from me, clear communication can avoid that kind of thing. And then it's, it's be fair with the situation. Any final thoughts, Lynn? No, I think we covered it well. And as you said, I think we managed to maintain pretty level-headed in the discussion. <laughs> There's a couple of times where you feel that you can, you want to, you know. Vent. Well, it's like the Queen song. I just want to break free. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, look, I mean, I think we've got a responsibility ourselves of, you know, if we're talking about this whole thing is realizing that sometimes you've been the cause of somebody else's misery before, 100%. which I identify with. I know that sometimes I've pissed people off to a point where, you know, there's a point of no return. It's affected the, the friendship. It's not always about how I feel about other people. It's about how other people feel about me. And that happened recently with with somebody and they called me on something and although our friendship has somewhat ceased or reduced, I still apologised for my part in it. And I appreciate when people do that with me as well. Like if I have a discussion with somebody who feel passionately about something and they do give a heartfelt apology, like it's not just a token gesture but a heartfelt apology, like they realise that what they did was the wrong thing, then that's something to work with for the future. Mm-hmm. And for the person I pissed off, I'm banking on the fact that uh, we will reconnect over things. I don't think that it was a hopeless situation, but yeah, I pissed them off and they called me on it and I thought, yeah, you're right. It was a pretty shitty thing to do. You got me. Yeah, you got me. All right. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe, or just tell a friend. Mm. Doing that really helps us spread the word of the show. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is via Patreon. Three bucks a month gets you an extra episode. Well, this show is brought to people now by Patreon. Yeah. Our Patreon supporters, are yeah. act- you are actually funding this show. Like uh-huh. you are the people. You are the people that bought that board that has the buttons where Glenn can make all those right. silly noises. <laughs> They're regretting that now. And ruin the integrity of the show and make it sound like a horrible morning breakfast show. But here's the thing. Like uh, I just want to make a point is that the people who are listening to this show for free, no guilt trip at all. But you really do need to thank the people who are on Patreon who are supporting it because they're funding the show for you to listen to mm-hmm. for free. Mm-hmm. So Patreon people, thank you very much. I know you get extra benefits from it and that's going to continue. I always say this, but I can't thank you enough because really it's making a massive difference to yeah. what, we're, what we're doing and what we're going to do into the future. Yeah. 
And if you are listening for free, then good on you. Keep yeah, going. Whatever. Yeah. No guilt. Won't help us get a whisper room, but no guilt. You really want that whisper room. <laughs> oh, that whisper you? room would be awesome. Yeah. That way you wouldn't hear Ladybug who was yeah, just you barking. Dogs barking yeah, you wouldn't hear any of that. You'd only hear the sound effects that you do. All right. <laughs> I'll keep trying to wrap it up. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, you can do that by email. We are info at the canineparadigm.com. That's it. Glenn, got the music on, on a button yet? Boom. There it is. <laughs> You can actually talk all the music. Yeah, we can talk all the music. Woohoo! You did it! I you did made it. it to the end. Yeah, I did. All right, bye. Bye.